Hey, thanks for joining us online. My name is Sonia. I'm the Connections Pastor here at Artisan Church. And I want to take this opportunity to invite you to see our fall events calendar. Now, this is a moment where you can go online, you can figure out something to do for everyone in your family in order to get connected. All the way from your kids, your youth, to your adults, we have things for you to do to help you build community. Uh, we also value generosity. This is an opportunity for you to practice giving. Now, I love it, Pastor Sam says, as Christians, we wanna be known for our generosity. So this is your opportunity. You can click on the link below. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, Artisan Church, how are you today? It's Labor Day weekend, how many excited about that? I hope you had a good summer and I uh, hope you've been to the State Fair. Uh, Vicki and I went to the State Fair for it seemed like several days yesterday morning, and uh, it, was, it was a great time for three and a half hours and uh, got my state fair fix. Anyway, so good to be with you this morning. I love Pastor Sam and Renee, and uh, I do commend the fact that he is a learner and uh, what he just said about mentoring. He's reached out to me several times to talk through different issues and uh, situations, opportunities, and uh, to have a pastor who is open to the advising of other people, uh, that's commendable. You're in good hands. It's been a number of years since I've been here, and I love the remodel. It just is fantastic. The campus looks great. And uh, Pastor Mark, our district superintendent, says, sends his greetings. We've talked a lot about Artisan Church and, uh, and just the incredible things that are happening as God is working in your midst and God is helping you to reach people and God is helping you to grow a strong church. And uh, I just, uh, it's an honor to be here this morning. I was, um, I, my, my life was rudely interrupted about uh, four months ago when having served the last 10 years at North Central University as a vice president, uh, the Board of Regents chairman called, uh, we were in a presidential transition, our former President Scott Hagan uh, resigned, moving on to a different calling in his life, and so uh, I was called to ask if I'd consider becoming the uh, interim president for this season, and I love North Central, and I feel like the honor of being able to lead our school through its transition is probably one of the great honors of my life. I graduated from North Central University in 1986, uh, sent all of my children through all of our ministry years, four kids, sent them to North Central. When we came back 10 years ago to serve, my wife was able to finish her degree, and so uh, we love North Central. And I want to say thank you to this church who, through the years, and even currently, you're faithful. We've got, you got a whole bunch of North Central alums and students on the platform, back in the sound booth, all over the place. Some of you that maybe are sitting in one of your chairs, you have a uh, you have an experience or you were a part of North Central. Thank you for being uh, supportive. God is using our school, and God has a tremendous plan for our school. I really believe that uh, the world needs North Central because of what North Central produces in terms of future pastors, youth pastors, kids pastors, worship pastors, business person, uh, entrepreneurs, school teachers, all just the whole menu of, of programs that we provide. Uh, our students come to North Central because of what we offer, a great education, but also a great 
environment of the Holy Spirit and the charged spiritual atmosphere. Our students want to do something great for God, some vocationally in ministry and some in the marketplace. And so thank you. If you have children and you want to send them to a great school that has a great, great reputation of, of championing them to their fullest potential, uh, please send them our way. Thank you for your faithfulness. You know, This morning, I'm going to speak on a topic that is kind of the theme of what I've always felt has been important in all of the years that I've been at North Central influencing young people, and that is the issue of resilience through difficult times. And so the, the title of my talk this morning is simply called Uncertainty. Uncertainty, or we might say the issue of certainty in that it's hard to find certainty in an uncertain world. And so as I think about what it takes to raise our children in such a way to have resiliency in a world that's, you know, you just, nothing's guaranteed. Things are changing before our very eyes, and a lot of the change is not good. And how do we raise our children, raise our grandchildren? How do we as adults, how do we prepare for tomorrow? I mean, maybe you're going back to work tomorrow. You're working on Labor Day. Maybe you're going back to work on Tuesday. Whatever the case may be, you're going to be going back to work, and you, just, you know that every day you go to work, something could happen. Something might be around the corner that, that you're not aware of. And that sense of, I don't know what's around the corner, or uncertainty has a way of just compiling on us stresses and strains, and it can rob us of our joy. It can rob us of our confidence. It can rob us from that that resiliency that God wants to put in us that, that enables us to face whatever we have to face. And I think sometimes we wish, God, I know that I can face whatever it is that you're going to send my way. I just would like to have a little bit of a heads up what's coming my way. And God says, well, guess what? I'm not going to give you a heads up on everything. Because if I gave you a heads up on what's coming your way, you would tuck your tail and you'd run away from it. So some of you are facing things that you never planned for. But God's helping you day by day. And there are some things that are coming up that God's not going to necessarily give you specific advanced uh, you know, warning on, but he's going to be with you and he's going to help you. But in the meantime, there is something that you can do to prepare for that uncertainty that is around the corner and coming your way. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. The, the power of paralyzing uncertainty uh, came into focus uh, to my life when I when I witnessed, like you, something that happened on January 15th, 2009, about 15 years ago. On that day, Americans and spectators around the world were mesmerized when the news showed to us the incredible story of U.S. Air Flight 1549. For those of you that are unfamiliar with what happened, let me tell it to you. On that day, U.S. Air Flight 1549 took off from LaGuardia Airport at 3.26 in the afternoon. Less than one minute into the flight, less than one minute into the flight, Chief Pilot Chelsea Sullenberger reported on the intercom to the tower, double bird strike, double bird strike. Birds were sucked into both of the jet engines that promptly then caused those engines to fail. And immediately, they lost thrust. In reporting double bird strike, the tower ordered Chelsea Sullenberger to turn that bird around, to turn that airplane around and get yourself back to LaGuardia Airport, emergency landing, from where they had just taken off. 
as he is now gliding that airplane, he's recognizing that he does not have enough altitude or thrust to get back to LaGuardia. And so he makes a quick decision. And he says, I'm going to Teterboro, the regional airport in Teterboro, New Jersey. And as he begins to fly that glider towards Teterboro, he recognizes we don't have enough altitude or thrust to get to Teterboro. And he makes a quick decision. And you all know what that decision was. He landed that airplane in the Hudson River. And it was captured by amateur photographers, people with their iPhones, and it made the news. And we were amazed that he successfully landed that plane on water without it disintegrating. And all 155 people on board went home safely that night. And we say to ourselves, wow, what if I'd been on that airplane? What if I'd been on that airplane? What if you'd been on that airplane and you're just, it's, you know, you've ridden on it, you've flown before, the thrust, you're going up, it's putting you back in your seat and all of a sudden you lose thrust and maybe you launch forward, you look out a window and there's an engine on fire and you look out the other and that, that engine's on fire. And I wonder if uncertainty would have struck you in your heart and it would have, certainly. I guess this is the day where I'm going to die. And that creates uncertainty. But it didn't have to be that way. He successfully landed that airplane, and those people went home safely. And the question is, what was their salvation? What was it that, that, that brought all 155 of those people home that night? What was their salvation? And the answer, the easy answer, it was the pilot. It was a skilled, trained pilot that was their salvation and yet, that very thing points to something else that was the salvation. Yeah, a human being was involved, but the human being was not the point of the salvation. The salvation, the rescue, the certainty that came out of uncertainty was that there was a pilot who was trained. Yeah. Properly trained for such an emergency like that. I don't know if any of you are pilots, if you've got your pilot's license. My brother was a pilot. My dad had his airplane's pilot's license. And, and I know that, you know, from their experience that all pilots are trained to plans. I mean, there's all kinds of plans for a pilot. There's flight plans. There's safety plans. There's emergency plans. There's all different kinds of plans that you have to train to. You have to memorize. You have to keep practicing over and over and over again. I had a man in my church that I pastored in Bismarck who was a who was a professional pilot for one of the corporations in town that had a, a fleet of Lear jets. And, and every February, my friend would go down to Florida, get in that simulator, and go through all of the same plans over and over and over again because it's not just good to, I think I know a plan, or I think I remember a plan, that when things are uncertain, you've got to have a plan that is almost like a reflex that without even thinking, you do the right thing. And that's what Sullenberger did. He did the right thing. Now, it was a fascinating story. It became an award-winning movie. Tom Hanks was the, the star of this movie called Sully. And what was interesting about the movie, and I don't know if you saw it. If you hadn't, you should watch it. It was it's fascinating based on all the true facts of what happened on that fateful day when U.S. Air Flight 1549 
landed in the Hudson River. But what's interesting about the movie, it not only depicted the events that led up to the flight and the incident, and it not only depicted like how they reenacted what happened in the incident, but the bulk of the movie was all of the aftermath. After everybody was safe and they went home, the movie is about the incriminating investigation that went into to determining, did he actually make the right decision? Did he have to fly and land it in the water, which is very dangerous? Well, the fact of the matter is, that was the only option, and that was proven out, as you would see in the movie. The key that I want to bring to this, to this discussion about uncertainty, using this flight situation as an example, is that you and I are in flight. You and I are in flight in our lives. And there are certain days when it's a double bird strike. It's an emergency. Things are bleeding. Things need, are in crisis. And, and what do we do in our crisis? What do we do in our fear? What do we do in our anxiety? What's our first reaction? What have we trained ourselves? What have we been trained to that would give us the right response to these situations that come at us out of the blue? And if you've been trained properly to the right plan, you can know that you know that you know that you know that you know that God is going to be with you. And how do I know that? Because one of the great passages of Scripture that we turn to, it's kind of what I call a, a verse that falls into the category of the all-time feel-good verses of the Bible. And it's Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 11, says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Oh, doesn't that feel good? That feels good. We love that truth. Then you will call on me and, I, and you will pray to me and I will listen. You will seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And we love that verse. But if we're not, you know, if we just pluck that verse out of nowhere without the context, we don't really understand the real punch, the real poignancy of that verse, which is this. God spoke to the prophet to give a message to the nation of Israel on the eve of Israel's perhaps greatest catastrophe. Perhaps the greatest historical catastrophe, you might go back to their bondage in Egypt, and that was a catastrophe, that was a difficulty. But another bondage was on the horizon for them, and that was the Babylonian exile, where the nation of Israel was literally kidnapped. And they were sent to Babylon for 70 years. And on the eve of that happening, God wanted to send a message. It was like God saying through the prophet, listen, people, you're going to go into some uncertainty for about 70 years, and you're going to be wondering for 70 years, where are you, God? What happened, God? I want you to remember, I'm giving you this message before it even happens. I know the plans that I have for you. I have plans to give you hope and a future to prosper you. You see, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We live in a dangerous world, and bad things happen to good people. But God knows the end from the beginning. And so God sends Doug Graham to Artisan Church to preach a message on uncertainty, to remind you of this message. Not to predict or not to hope that anything bad happens to you this week or anything like that, but we all know that life in Christ is not a guaranteed walk through the you know, on the beach, there's difficulty, and there's challenges, and the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The point of the matter is we are living in great uncertainty. 
We have economic uncertainty. We have cultural uncertainty. We have immorality uncertainty. But I'm here to tell you that the greatest level of uncertainty has nothing to do with who's in the White House. The greatest levels of uncertainty have nothing to do with what's happening in the stock market. The greatest uncertainty has, is not about the cultural depravity of the world in which we live. The greatest level of uncertainty is when we feel like God's voice has gone silent. Like I'm going through something and I, I'm, I'm struggling to hear what you're trying to say, Holy Spirit. And I just wonder if perhaps we're, we're struggling to hear because we've not been consistent in the training. We've not been sticking to the plan. We've not been going through the checklist again. Every pilot, you, you pilot a small little 152 Cessna before you lift that plane off of the runway, you got to go through the checklist again and again and again. And the, and the day you say, oh, I've gone through this, I don't need to, I don't need to go through this check plan, you just might take off and there's no oil in the engine. And that becomes a disaster. So the best thing for us to do in uncertainty is to run to the right source. And the source is God's word. The source in the midst of our uncertainty is God's word. And the best time to run to God's word is when you're not going through something uncertain. The best time to keep running after God's word is when everything's going great. Everything's going wonderful. Everything is great. That's the morning you get up and you start praying and you get up and you keep reading your Bible and you go to the men's discipleship group. You don't go there just when you're in crisis. Certainly go there when you're in crisis, but you go there when everything's going wonder wonderful. Why? Because there's going to come a day when something uncertain is going to pull the rug out from underneath you. And when that happens, when the rug goes out from underneath you, what do you do? You naturally grab the nearest thing to give you stability. And I'm here to tell you there's nothing more stable than God's word. There's nothing more stable than God's word. That needs to be our heart and our attitude when we open it up and we're reading it again today, devotionally. That needs to be our heart and our attitude when we come to church and we know Pastor Sam or someone on staff is gonna bring a teaching from the word of God. It's like I'm hungry for it, I want it, I need it. I may not feel I need as much today, but I know tomorrow something's gonna happen and I'm gonna need what God can give me as I anchor myself into the plan of God's word. So let me give you three thoughts about God's word to inspire you and encourage you how desperate we need to stay close to God's word. First of all, the Bible gives us answers to things that no other resource can ever give us answers to. And it's more practical than you give it credit. Gilbert Keith Chesterton, more commonly known as G.K. Chesterton, <clears throat> was a British journal uh, writer, and he's famous for great quotes. He was an interesting individual. He was, uh, he was a big man, and he had a sharp intellect, and um, he could, you either loved him or hated him because he could... He could say something and cut someone to the bone in just, uh, in just, a, in just a, a statement because he was so sharp with his vocabulary. And so he was known as a religious man. And one time he was asked by a group of people, hey, Chesterton, um, and they weren't religious. They kind of wanted to you know, tease him a little bit. They said, hey, Chesterton, if you were deserted on an island in the South Pacific and you only had one book, 
what book would that be? And before he could answer, a, a guy shot his hand up. I bet I know what it is, Chesterton. You're a Christian, and you're probably going to say the Bible. And Chesterton actually said, no, if I was on a deserted island all by myself with only one book, it wouldn't be the Bible. And another person said, well, you're, you're a great British citizen. You probably would want one of the works of Shakespeare. And Chesterton said, no, if I was on a deserted island with only one book, I wouldn't want anything from Shakespeare. And so, like, well, what book would you want? He says, he says, it's simple. I mean, if I was on a deserted island all by myself, I only had one book, I would want the one book that is entitled How to Build a Ship. <laughs> now, I make a point on that, and that is this. A lot of people think that the Bible's not very practical. That by reading the Bible, there's nothing really practical that's going to change or be advanced in my life. And this is why a lot of people don't read the Bible. This is why a lot of people who've tried to read the Bible, but they got stuck in Leviticus or Ezekiel, where we all get stuck, and they just said, oh, it, 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 there's no practical use of this. And I'm here to tell you that the Bible is full of great theology, great doctrine, great truthful concepts, but it's very practical. And it's practical in the sense that when we learn the truth of God's word doctrine or theologically, it's amazing how the practical kinds of problems in our life seem to fall into place. Because God is omniscient, meaning he knows everything. And so the Bible doesn't necessarily address all the practical things that you go through specifically, but it unpacks all of the things that stand behind all those practical problems that you have. You might be in a financial mess. Well, the Bible's not going to necessarily give you chapter and verse on how to make a million dollars, but it's going to help you to understand how to manage the money that you do have in terms of contentment. In terms of how do I take my first portion and give it to the Lord and, and let him help me, you know, put the kingdom of God first. I mean, even in your marriage and in your relationship with your kids, there may not be like the specific chapter and verse on what to do next, but the Bible will teach you how to love yeah. and how to have patience and how to be kind when it's difficult. I'm here to tell you the Bible has more answers for your life's dilemmas than you have often given it credit for. I think... One of the things that we, we, we struggle with in reading the Bible in, these, in, you know, in this manner is that we, we don't realize that the truth of God's word is going to save our soul. It's going to save our soul, the truth of God's word. Now, let me ask you this. If God were to appear to you in a dream or in some way and said to you, listen, I'm not going to tell you when, but somewhere in your future, you are going to have a health arrest. Something's going to happen to your body, and you are going to die. Unless you buy a device that you self-manipulate and operate, and you hit the button at the right time, and it'll save your life. Now, my question is, if God told you that was going to happen, but there is a device that if you operate it the right way, it'll save your life. You might be on the top of a mountain. You might be flying in an airplane. You might be, you know, anywhere in the world, but you got that device, and you know how to operate that device. It'll save you, and you won't die. Let me ask you, would you buy that device? Yes, you'd buy that device. Would you buy it with the manual? Okay. Would you read the manual? Would you read the manual more than once? Yes, you would memorize the manual. 
because you know that you know that you know God has given you a heads up. There's going to be a time where you're going to have this heart attack or whatever the case is, and you're going to have to know how to operate because if you don't operate it right, you'll actually kill yourself. So you would read that manual. You'd study that manual. You'd memorize that manual. You'd understand that manual front and back, up and down because you've been told you know there's going to come a day where you're going to have to self-administer that, that device to save you, and you would, you would read it. That's the Word of God, my friends. That's the Word of God. The, the Word of God teaches us and tells us how we find Christ, how we stay in Christ, how we thrive in Christ. In the midst of a world that, and a devil that is constantly pulling us away, he seeks to kill, steal, and destroy our lives. You see, the devil knows that the devil cannot do anything against God directly. He already knows that Jesus defeated him at the cross. So he knows he's defeated. And so what does he do? He goes after what God loves the most, and that's you. And that's your children. And if he can convince you to not know how to use the device and not read the manual, what happens is in your uncertainty, people say that there is no God. They've been in church. They've been raised in the church. But so many bad things have happened. They weren't trained to the word, and so things got so bad, they just walked away from God. The Bible is the ultimate answer provider. Look at this verse, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. The Bible says of itself that it is a lamp and it is a light. I don't think there's anything more practical than the need for light and lamps. I mean, even my own cell phone here. I think the thing that I use most of in this cell phone is, is, my, is my little, you know, light here, my little flashlight. I mean, I'm ancient. I, you know, losing my eyesight as the years go by and I drop something on the floor and I, I, can't, I can't see. And, and so this, this little iPhone, the light has been used probably more than any other, you know, little gadget thing on here. And I think you'd all agree with me. And notice that the Bible says, thy word is a lamp, not a floodlight. It's just, it's, just a, it's just enough light to know where to take the next step. And that's the challenge of uncertainty. In uncertainty, we want all the answers. We want the full plan. And God says, I'm not going to give you the full plan. I'm going to give you the next step. And after that, I'll give you the next step. And after that, I'm going to give you the next step, which forces us to keep faith toward him, keep, keeping our faith in him. So God's word is more practical than you give it credit. Number two, not only does it give us answers, but the, the word of God keeps us properly aligned. It keeps us moving in the right direction. And you know as well as I do, the moment one of your tires gets out of alignment as you're driving, what does it do? It pulls. It pulls to the right or the left. And you don't want to be pulled to the right into the ditch. And you don't want to be pulled left onto oncoming traffic. You want proper alignment so that you go straight between the lines. And that's what God's word provides for us. It provides the right direction that we need to go. Psalm 61 verses 1 and 2. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call you. I called you as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. The Bible gives us the trajectory, the direction that he is calling us to go when there are all kinds of opportunities to go into the ditch or go into oncoming traffic. God's word keeps us safe between the lines. Admiral Richard Byrd wrote a book in 1938 called Alone. And it's the record of 
a four and a half month experiment that he put himself willingly into when he went to the South Pole and said, I want to live off the radar, off the grid, totally disconnected, and I just want to I, I, I want to I experience solitary confinement with nobody close to me. I want to be at the ends of the earth, and I want to I write about what that feels like. And so for those, for those four months, he's in this cabin at the South Pole, and near the end of his, uh, his stay, he, he started to get stir-crazy in that small little hut that he had rented, and he said, i got to get some fresh air. And so he put on his jacket and layered up and opened the door and, you know, stepped into what we would call a northern Minnesota deep freeze because <laughs> it's cold and there's wind chill. And he noticed that it was snowing. And so he just made sure he was all bundled up. He had his flashlight with him and he closed the door and he just walked for about 20 yards and he was enjoying the fresh air and he just kind of thought, man, it really is snowing heavy. And he turned around and he realized he wasn't leaving any tracks. It was coming down that fast and that heavy. And he began, he just continued to walk a little bit. And then it dawned on him, dummy, you better not get lost. 1938, better not get lost. Okay, note to self, I need to go back to the cabin. And he turned around and the cabin was gone. It was a total whiteout. And he didn't know if he hadn't been walking any straight lines. He was just meandering around getting fresh air. So he didn't know if the cabin was there or there or over there or over there or over there. And he began to panic. Now, you learn a lot about a person when they are in a panic situation. And he knew well enough to know that if he panicked and freaked out, he'd be a dead man. So he took a deep breath and said, what am I supposed to do? What, how do I find the cabin? And so this is what he did. He took the heel of his boot, and he chipped away at the ice and the snow, and he built a three-foot ice tower. And he took his flashlight, bent down to the base, and he etched at the base of this ice tower an arrow, an arrow. And he, and he took a few steps, and he kept turning around, making sure he could see his ice tower. See, he was using his ice tower as a fixed point of reference. And he got to about here and he thought, if I take one more step, I won't be able to see my fixed point of reference. So from here, not daring to take one more step, he looked. And he couldn't see the cabin. So he went back to his fixed point of reference. And he bent down and he made another arrow with a little bit different direction, a little different angle. And he kind of went this way, went as far as he could. And he looked over here. No cabin. He went back to his fixed point of reference and he did it again, went over, went back to his, he kept going back and forth to his fixed point of reference, never keep losing contact with the fixed point of reference. He, he did a 360 degrees around his fixed point of reference and still no sight of the cabin. And he said, what do I do now? And it dawned on him, he needed to extend the length of the tether. So he started where he did before, he went about as far as he went as he did before. And then he built another tower right here so that he could extend the, extend the length and he couldn't find the cabin. But eventually, having been able to extend the length but staying attached to the fixed point of reference, that's what enabled him to finally see the faint outline of the cabin and he was saved. All right, what is your fixed point of reference? 
And are you sticking to your fixed point of reference? Are you keeping your eyes on the fixed point of reference? See, the fact of the matter is, the answers to your problems are not very far away as long as you're sticking close to the fixed point of reference. And here's the other thing. All it would have taken for Admiral Byrd was to take one fateful step beyond his ability to see his fixed point of reference, and he would lose that, and then he'd be lost again. So what is our fixed point of reference? It's the Word of God. Heaven and earth passes away, but my word will remain forever, God says. You're upside down in some uncertain situation. The fixed point of reference is God's word. It's like that plan. It's like that emergency. It's like what pilots train to. They stay close to the fixed point of reference. All these ways in which to get out of difficult situations, the Bible is that for you. Again, Psalm 61, verse 2. Hear my cry, O Lord. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I cry out to you. The ends of the earth in the Bible, that phrase, means a place that's a long way from home. The prodigal son was a long way from home. We can find ourselves a long way from home. How do we find our way back? Fixed point of reference, God's word. Let's go to the last metaphor for God's word. Not only gives us answers and alignment to get home, but it provides an anchor in the storms of life. I don't know if you've ever heard of the man by the name of Michael Plant. But Michael Plant was a sailor, grew up on the ocean sailing. And ever since he was a little boy, he wanted to sail around the world solo, all by himself. And so when he became old enough and his parents thought he could do that, uh, he bought a boat, he bought a sailboat, called her the Coyote. And he had the Coyote equipped with all the state-of-the-art technology so that he could, through satellites, he could be in constant contact with uh, the authorities and his family. And, and when his family heard that he was going to do this, and he, was, he had the money to invest in, to do that, his friends or his family, everybody thought, great. Nobody was alarmed. Nobody was nervous because he had such experience and he had this great boat. And so when he sailed off, it was, it was like, we, we can't wait to get the daily reports. Have a great time, son. Have a great time, buddy. And he'd radio back, you know, daily reports on where he was and what was going on. And uh, one daily report he gave back, I think I'm going to be heading into a hurricane and I'm going to try to navigate around it. And, and, uh, and then after that, there was no contact from him. And the family thought, well, it's not a problem. He's busy in this hurricane, no problem. Day after day after day, went into a, a week, two weeks, no contact from Michael Plant. Michael Plant was never found. The coyote was found. Rescue efforts were sent out, and, the, and, and whether it was the Coast Guard or the Navy, they found the coyote floating upside down. Now, if any of you know sailboats, sailboats don't float upside down. They're not supposed to float upside down. Sailboats are built in such a way that b below the keel, there's this, there's this ballast bulb that that hangs deep into the water, and it's heavy. And the coyote had an 8,400-pound ballast bulb attached to it so that if it was tipped over, it would always right itself. Even if it went upside down, it'd be so top-heavy, it would right itself. 
But they found the coyote flipped upside down and that ballast bulb was missing. And the moment the coyote lost all the weight below the water line, she became susceptible to even a mid-sized wave. And that wave would have flipped it upside down in an instant, which is obviously what would have what what happened because when they found the coyote they found that his emergency life raft which all he would have to do is pull the rip cord and it would self-inflate they found that raft uninflated in the cabin that's what life does to us that's what the storms of life do to us and the question is where's the true weight that keeps us right side up in the storms of life. We tend to be far more excited about, invested in what's above the waterline, like what the boat looks like, how big the house is, what kind of car I can afford to drive, what, what I, how I look. You know, we, we just put so much energy on things that are above the waterline, which are good, but we don't put most of our effort into wading it below the waterline, like our character, our integrity, the things that are not seen by people, like my daily devotional time or my commitment to purity when no one's watching. I could get away with this. But we say to ourselves, even though the world doesn't see anything, God sees me, and I'm going to make the right decision because God's Word tells me so as I bring this message to a close and we, we think about the storms of life and we think about the directions of life and we think about the complications of life, let me remind you that God's Bible, the Word of God, gives us answers that no, we can find nowhere else. God's Word will always direct us in the right pathway to bring us home. And God's Word is so heavy and so weighty that as we train our lives to it, as we give our lives to learning it and growing it, it doesn't matter what storm comes our way. It doesn't matter what the devil throws our way. We're not going to be flipped upside down. We're going to be righted, and we're going to be able to sail through whatever storm there is. Father, I pray a blessing on this congregation. I pray that you'd remind them that your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Jesus, I'm reminded that you said that your words, the words you spoke, are spirit and life. Thank you, God, that you sent forth your word and you healed and rescued from the pit. I pray that your word, Lord, sown in varieties of ways as these folks commit to reading the Bible, studying the Bible, going to discipleship classes, listening to the Word of God at every, every opportunity. Remind all of us that your Word never returns void. It accomplishes everything that you've ordained for it to accomplish. And I don't think there's anything greater that you want to accomplish in our lives than to help us get through uncertain times because we've been trained to your Word. Thank you, Lord. Pray all this in your name. Amen.